it, it really isn't so much about adding reds as it is removing greens. That is what I find helps most because you do lose red when you go deeper, but if you pull the greens out, it naturally highlights the reds in the image. Off-gassing, a scuba podcast with host Nick Hogel. One day while scrolling through the wonderful world of Instagram, I came across my next guest's profile. Videos of sea turtles, eagle rays, and other various creatures of the underwater world. I reached out to Matt to see if he would be interested in coming onto the podcast for an interview. He tells me his story of how he ended up in Australia on a working visa, his time at Heron Island, and he gives me some tips on the tedious task of editing underwater videos. Please enjoy. Matt, how are you doing this morning? I am doing well, thanks for asking. How are you? I am not too bad. So you're based in Nebraska? Currently, yes. Waiting on visas to be able to get out of country again, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> where's the? Where's your next destination? Oh, hopefully back to Australia. Oh, that's, okay. That's become my home, so trying to get back. Okay, okay. Um, how long have you been back in Nebraska? Getting close, seven months. Oh, yeah. okay. Seven okay. months. Cool, cool. Well, we'll. I'm sure we'll get into that whole story. But I guess the the first question I wanted to ask is, you know, tell me how and why you got into scuba diving. Tell me about that first experience. Was it kind of just rolling along with a buddy and just happened to get certified, or or how did that all come about? So that came about from working at Heron Island in Queensland. So there is a dive shop on the island, and as staff there, you get discounts on dives, you get discounts going out on the snorkels, and if you're there for a certain amount of time, you then get discounts on the scuba courses. And so I was able to be there long enough that I was able to do the discounts, and one of my good buddies was one of the dive instructors, and so he was like, hey, you got days off? Let's get you certified. And we just did it. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. What were you doing for work over there? I was working in reception, and then I ended up taking on a position as the Wilson Island coordinator. So Heron Island and Wilson Island are sister islands. You have to arrive at Heron Island, and then you take a 30-minute smaller boat transfer over to Wilson Island, which is a more five-star exclusive experience. There's only 12 to 18 guests on the island at a time with three dedicated staff so i took on essentially the coordination of that so i met every guest coming to the island every guest leaving dealt with reservations helicopter arrivals scheduling all the boats ordering food drinks all of that stuff oh okay cool how, how did you end up there to begin with doing a working holiday visa through australia you get one year to be there but as an American, you can either do farm work or remote hospitality work to then apply for a second year and then a third year. So I started doing remote hospitality work in Western Australia the first year and just kind of fell in love with the remote lifestyle. And that's all I did for the next four years was go from remote resort to remote resort every six months. So when you, when you made it to 
the island was and you saw like I'm assuming they have a bunch of scuba diving there was it just kind of like oh this is something I'd like to do or was it just were, were you were you kind of pushed into it or was it like this is something I definitely want to do oh it's it's always been something I've wanted to do being from Nebraska the ocean has always just been this thing it's like we don't have it I need to see it and then I lived in New Zealand for a few years so I was able to see it there but I didn't do any diving or really any snorkeling there and then as I traveled Western Australia I was snorkeling that coast and then traveled the southern coast of that again by myself and snorkeled the whole way and then once I had done a great white shark cage out of Port Lincoln in South Australia I was like okay they had a scuba diving one as well and you see the cage go way further down and it's like man I wish I was certified for that That'd be great. <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. What is what is the diving like over there? I I am I'll be honest, I don't know much about that area, so I'm I'm real curious to hear. Heron Island, where I got certified, is on the southern end of the Great Barrier Reef. So it is absolute magic. In the winter months, right now they have humpback whales spotted almost every day. They have the mantas that show up, and then once it gets, because it is winter now, once you get into summer and the water warms up, those things have moved further south, but you still have all of your reef sharks, turtles, all of the different rays. They have turtle nesting that will come up, so all the females will come up onto heron. They have huge green green turtle and loggerhead nesting sites. What are the water temperatures usually there? Because I've heard that they could be quite cold. Yeah, they can go anywhere. I want to say the lowest I saw might have been around 15 Celsius. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is pretty cold. Generally, <laughs> generally around 15 to 18 is your low range, and then it could get up towards 30. So generally, what were you wearing? Just like a, like a five mil wetsuit or something? No, I was more rocking a three. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I can handle 15 degrees in uh, a three mil wetsuit. I might, I might, yeah. It was one of those, I wanted to get a wetsuit that I could also still use for snorkeling that wouldn't uh, be so big and bulky that I still couldn't like free dive and duck dive down. So I went with the three and if it was ever too cold, I would throw, I think it was a five mil shorty over top. So then I ended up with like on the torso eight mil but like my calves and my arms had three. So it was a weird combination. <laughs> so have you tried to do any diving since you've been back in the States? I don't know, uh, I, I'm not sure if there is diving in Nebraska, but there might be some freshwater lakes. I'm, I'm, I'm actually real curious to know. Yeah, so there's, there is somebody, so I'm in a little town called Crete, Nebraska, and that's about 30 minutes away from the capital city of Lincoln, and there's a company there that does some lake diving and stuff but with I wasn't planning on being in this country for seven months so I haven't really got like a job or doing all those things that normal adults do so I've just been trying to like hoard my money like a dragon so when I have to pay for my visa I'm off and ready okay so what's the what's the hold up on the visa right now just going through all the the whole process of everything like is it a pretty difficult process to to get a visa over there with the one that I'm going for, it's not easy because it is a permanent residency visa. And so oh, okay. it is skills-based. 
And the holdup initially was waiting for a skills assessment that you have to get from a third party, and they would not give me the skills assessment for, I applied for that back in December, and I only just got it towards the start of July. And so... Oh, so you're making the... Oh yeah, trying to make the move. Okay, cool, cool. What what drew you to Australia in the first place? So I would, did my master's in New Zealand, but couldn't get a new visa there because it was a struggle to find work. And so I literally just went, where else can I go? Found out that the first year working holiday to Australia was like $500. I was like, yeah, done, easy. Sure, <laughs> I'll come say hi. And then I was there for the next five years. Okay. I, um, so I remember, I, I, so I, I'm assuming that they still do that, the, um, cause I, I looked into that at one point to do the, the working holiday over there. Um, but I think they cap it at like 30 years old or something, or I can't remember what the age requirement is. And so I like, or it might be a little bit older, but I remember I just passed the age requirement. So I wasn't able, but I never looked into it either. So I don't know if I still could have somehow figured out a way to do it, but no, Australia is definitely, it's one of those places that, like, since I've been a little kid, I've always wanted to go, but I've just never had the opportunity. And then obviously, coming up as a diver, you know, you hear about the diving in Australia. It's pretty famous, Great Barrier Reef. Um, but definitely, it's it's a spot that I'll definitely have to, to make out there at some point in time. So Heron Island, that's the place to go. Oh, Heron's great. But you've also got, so further south from Heron, you have a place called Lady Musgrave Island, which is mostly snorkeling, but you can take day boats out there. They also have a reef sleep area. And then you have further south from that, Lady Elliot Island, which is pretty famous for its mantas. They're the only place in the world, I believe, that has ever seen the pink, the pink tinted manta. So they have a pink manta that shows up. They also have a resident dolphin named Bubbles. And then I've also gone up and I was snorkeling up in Cairns. That was my first experience on the Great Barrier Reef was snorkeling up there, which again, they had divers and this was before I was certified. They had divers on that boat and they went down and they came up, oh, we saw all this stuff. And I was like, I'm so jealous. I need to do this. I'm so, I didn't see all any of that stuff. Well, tell me, tell me about your your experience going through your um, your open water class. Like, what agency was there? Any intimidating? Like, like how did you find the whole experience? So yeah, I went with so Heron Island is a PADI certified spot. So okay, I'm PADI certified. But for me, it was pretty easy. My biggest concern about it was equalizing, just okay. because I had known when I snorkel and duck dive equalizing can get tricky but i had to get a new mask for that because the mask that i was using was just a cheapo one that had a hard nose piece so you couldn't actually like plug your nose to help equalize so that didn't didn't make it simpler <laughs> so yeah got that sorted but then it was you know taking the first breaths out of the regulator in the pool wasn't as hard for me as some of the other people in that course because doing the shark cage diving they had given you a regulator hooked up to a hose on the boat so i had used a regulator before in a much a similarly controlled environment so i was a lot less stressed about that than another person who was in my course with me and then it was just working on all of the other stuff around it but i had 
great teachers for each of them. Cool, cool, man. Um, and so with the, um, so you're a photographer. Was that something that what you were doing on dry land and then just transitioned into the water, or how did that whole thing come about? Yeah, pretty much. So my background is graphic design. So I've come from that artsy side. And then working in some of the remote places, I went, made decent money, bought myself a drone, got into drone photography. And then as I was traveling the southern Western Australia, it was like, oh, I need to get a GoPro. I'm doing all this snorkeling and I cannot, I can't keep what I'm seeing. I can't share that with anyone. It's just, I see it, no one else does. So then I got the GoPro and started getting into it. But then it, I more got into it on Heron because there's some other people that work there who have, you know, a whole photography business set up and other people who've worked there on Instagram that have turned it into something. I was like, okay, I could, I could get into that. That works for me. Yeah. Do you find it challenging more so underwater to, to, for the photography side of it than above water? Man, that's at this point above water's almost trickier because I'm so used to now editing all of my GoPro footage and color correcting for underwater. Like having done so many different videos now, I know what I need to add to each video. I know how to make those adjustments really quickly. Whereas now when I edit the above ground stuff, I'm almost over correcting and editing too much. So then it starts <laughs> to look not great. I'm like, oh, no, I don't, oh, the colors are different. I need to pull that back. I need to not just add red. I can't just add red. That doesn't work here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just because it was more, especially with underwater, it's, it's almost more only videography because that's what the GoPro is good for. I don't have a great still camera, and the GoPro does okay, until you zoom in and then they look more like paint brushed images than they do <laughs> high quality photos. So from a distance, GoPro photos look fine. But once you start to zoom in and actually look at the detail, it's like, oh, nope, nope. Not taken with a camera camera. That was, looks like a video still. <laughs> so I, uh, Man, I'm horrible at the video editing. I've tried to do it, and and I'll be honest, I'm I'm so bad. Like I don't know if you know the the I think it's like the Dive Plus app where it's just kind of like automatic. It adds color back to your video or photo because I have a little GoPro type camera too, and it's something that I, I definitely need to work on. Do you have any like good tips or tricks that? can kind of help me or anybody out there listening to with their editing or just what to do, what not to do? Yeah. So first, download DaVinci Resolve. So there's a free version of it, and it's a pretty high powerful color grading program. And then it, it really isn't so much about adding reds as it is removing greens. That is what I find helps most because you do lose red when you go deeper, but if you pull the greens out, it naturally highlights the reds in the image. Whereas oh. if you add red, you start to get a red undertone to everything and it starts to look off. Especially when you have images closer to the surface. Like if you've ever been filming and you take your GoPro from underwater and then move it above water, your sky is pink. It doesn't, 
immediate it's not immediately blue because it's the GoPro's color adjusting for underwater at the shallow depths and so then as soon as you move the camera out of the water your entire sky is a pink red hue and it will do the same if you're editing a shallow snorkeling video if you try and add red the sunlight coming through starts to get a pink or a red tint to it so it's pulling the greens out because that's the color that there's too much of is davinci is that pretty difficult to learn like like a lot of i'm sure there's a lot of tutorial videos out there yeah so i went with a tutorial let me pull up the guy's name so i don't mispronounce it it was a guy that i've talked to on instagram a few times who i followed who that is what he makes tons of videos on and i'll probably pronounce it wrong but it's alex bjorstorp and i was following him because he's posting a reel a day and it was all in davinci and i was using premiere pro at the time and i was like it just doesn't it doesn't have huge functionality it's a great editing tool having been adobe my entire life but then i downloaded the free version of resolve from davinci and i was like oh there's just it's so much more functionality and i watched one of his tutorials and i was like oh okay this makes sense he it gives you the whole it's a node tree so it sets up all these different editing nodes and he goes this is the one that i'm currently using and i've just copied that and do it that same way once you figure it out once you can almost just copy paste you just mimic those same motions every time so now i can edit and push a reel out when i need to make a new reel in about 10 minutes I do as a hobby. I like land photography, um, not necessarily land, but just dry. I'll call it dry photography. Um, and I've thought about getting into underwater photography, but um, I actually was having a big problem with that as well. Kind of like what you were saying earlier, where I'll over edit and then I kind of have to stop myself. And then and it took me a while until I kind of found. Um, my touch that I like to add to photos because I feel like everybody kind of adds their own little flair to it. And then just trying, I, I, I haven't even done video because I've thought about trying to do videos for the podcast, uh, but I'm just like, I don't even, you know, editing and, and all this stuff because I'll bring the GoPro out, but then I feel like the footage will just sit on my computer for the longest time just because I'm like, man, I don't know. You know, once I start getting into the editing side of it, I'm like, this is a lot. Now I'm trying to color correct. But no, I'll definitely have to try that. So you're saying instead of um, adding red, just take the green out and then you can do some slight adjustments from there. Yeah, so that's, that's a pretty basic start because you can then fine tune, obviously, like you said, based on what kind of style you want to have. Like a lot of my stuff, I aim for the nice bright sun rays coming through the water with a lot of my snorkeling stuff. So I really like the oranges that I can get out of those sun rays. And a lot of that isn't so much about the editing as it is the timing of when I go for my snorkels. So that way it's the less that I have to do for a video, the better. Because if you're not having to completely color change an entire video, it makes it simpler. Whereas with like diving videos of nudie bronx or something at the bottom you're 18 meters down that is a lot trickier because you're having to adjust so much more because you have you have no red down there so then it's pulling greens adding reds 
and then you're doing that step a couple of times to try and build that color because you're having to add red back in and it does get a lot trickier because I've seen that Dive Plus app you had mentioned. For me personally, it's I hate anything that will put an automatic watermark on my stuff. <laughs> don't want it. Don't need it. This, my footage, don't you? I don't need to advertise your company with my stuff. I'm sorry. No, that's just, true. That's true. And then for me, it also felt like it threw the white balance off when I used it. It made the whites really push hard and for me personally i just i'm not a huge fan of that so it didn't fit that aesthetic that i like one of the dive instructors that had taught me he uses it all the time and he loves it and it fits what he's working with so yeah if, it, if yeah. it's what you use and that's what you like more power to you i think you can actually if you pay for the subscription you can get rid of the watermark um, and i hope dive plus isn't isn't listening to me right now because what i usually do is um, I'll use the app and then I'll just crop the photo. <laughs> so I, I'll crop the yep. stitch out. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of the watermark either. Well, then you just gotta plan for it when you're shooting. You yeah. just gotta make sure you're shooting a little bit wider, so when you crop, <laughs> what you wanted to focus is far enough in that it kills the watermark. <laughs> Uh, no, it's very, very true. So, Da Vinci, you said they, they have the free one, and is it not worth it to get the paid one, or is it a little bit better? Like, have you messed around with the one, or is it, the, it like, I don't know much about it. I want to say I have heard of it, but I, I don't know much about it. Yeah, so I instantly jumped into the paid version with my background being graphic design, marketing. It made sense for me. I knew I was, I'll get, it's a one-time payment. So I knew I was going to get use out of it, worth it for me to purchase it. But from what I understand, I was recommended to get the free one. Okay. So, and that's, that was the guy whose tutorials I watched. He said, just get the free one. You have the majority of the functionality that you need. Paying for it just gives you a few extra features, more for the professional side. Okay. The amateur side or the basic side will easily be covered in the free version. I'll definitely have to um, check that out because so I just got back uh, from a trip to Indonesia and trying to get like a bunch of footage underwater. We saw some cool stuff, some mantas. We saw some mola molas, a uh, little bamboo shark, a couple turtles, just some really cool stuff. And, and I definitely want to get a little bit better at editing my videos together. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I mean, with with like Instagram Reels or even there's a, uh, I think it's like the movie app on the iPhone. They make it quite easy and then you can add some music. So that's kind of how I've been doing it, but I still have a little bit of trouble, but it would be really nice to kind of, um, because I'll, I'll have these, I don't want to say images, but these ideas of like, oh, I think it would be cool to, you know, speed up like like one part up you know i'm just walking down the dock and i'm like oh it'd be kind of cool to speed up just walking through the dock and then slow it down right before you hit the water type stuff and i'm sure it's super easy to figure out but i i just it's one of those things i just have to sit down for like a full weekend or or a week and just say okay i'm gonna start plugging away at this watch a bunch of tutorial videos but yeah i'll have to look at the the da vinci one though for sure just because um it's something that i feel like i need to start to go into because especially with this podcast um it's 
you know, a lot of people are like, oh, do you have anything on YouTube? And I'm just like, no, <laughs> I can't do the video yet. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to I'll have to get that figured out. Are, what, what is your current, are you just a open water, open, open water certification? So I have my advanced, okay. but I have also done my rescue coursework and my rescue dives. My problem was my first aid and CPR that I had done in Australia was three months too old. Oh. And I didn't realize it before doing all the coursework and the dives. And so it's valid for three years, but Patty only accepts it within the last two years. So I was like, oh, okay. my, my first aid and my CPR are still current. They're still valid. Done. And then after we had done all the work in the dives, went in to get it, get the paperwork done. The dive shop manager was like, cool, when was your first aid? And I was like, this date. He goes, that is too old. And I went, oh. Biscuits, man. That's <laughs> dang. <laughs> But because it's because I have done those dives within the last year, I believe once I can get a first aid and CPR course here in the States, I should be able to get qualified for rescue. Awesome. How was that experience? Oh, I loved it. This was with this dive instructor has been diving for ever. He's he's been diving for I believe like twenty plus years. It was it was interesting because I had three different instructors between so my dsd was with one my open water and my advanced was with the same guy and then my rescue was with this third person and the first two are more around my age at that 30 mark uh the last instructor would be late 50s but because of that he had a more old school way of teaching and i loved every second of it <laughs> it was just fantastic because he would do you know simulating a panic diver he really simulated it. It was not a, what would you do in this situation? It was like, all right, you have an unconscious diver, go help him. And he would be the unconscious diver and we'd get to him and he would turn into a panic diver at the bottom of the harbor and try and rip your mask off. And it's like, oh, we're really in this. All right then. <laughs> it's great when you have an instructor like that. Cause I mean, in reality, you, you can prep and train as much as you can, but when you know the the real deal happens, um, it, it's definitely going to be completely different. When I did my rescue, I had a friend that did her rescue at the same time at a different island in a different place, and I was like, "Oh, this was what mine was like," and she was just like, "That was not mine at all. It was <laughs> much more hands off and calm." And I was like, "Oh, I I don't think I would have enjoyed that." Yeah, like, I yeah, feel yeah. like wait. The way that we did it prepped me because I was like, oh, this guy, he's trying to pull my regulator out of my mouth. He's trying to rip my mask off. You really have to make that initial decision of save yourself and then save the other person. It really gets you into that mindset of you want one, I, I believe it was like one victim, not two. Because if they're trying to, I mean, obviously they're panicking, so they're not trying to hurt you, but they could inadvertently hurt you. So you need to get away from them, which is the reverse thinking when you're trying to help somebody. It's, oh, be there and help them. But 10 meters underwater, if they're trying to claw at your face because they're freaking out, that helps nobody. I Luckily, I've not had to deal with a real situation, so um, definitely 
not looking forward to it if it ever happens, but I'm sure at some point in, in you know, just the long career of diving it will happen but no that's awesome that you had a lot of fun with that class and got a lot out of it because yeah it could be it could definitely go two different ways where you know you're really getting a lot out of it or if you're just kind of getting like walked through the class like oh okay this is what we do after taking that class do you think you'll ever pursue like a professional you know go for the dm or or even further as instructor does that like does that appeal to you at all uh, potentially the DM. I don't know if I would go the instructor route. I don't know. It's more, I don't know that I want to be responsible for other people. I'm more than happy <laughs> to be there to help. And that was one of those things. That's why I did the rescue. It's like, cool, that'll help me. If something happens, I can assist. I don't have to be the one responsible uh, for an entire group of people, especially at Heron. Heron is all boat dives and it's all drift dives. And so oh, okay. you're drifting as a group down the reef edge. And so the instructor could be 10 meters in front of you, depending on the current of the drift, where you and your buddy are way back. Them fighting the current to get back if something goes wrong wouldn't be easy. And so I always just kind of felt like, man, if something goes wrong, I'd like to be able to help somebody back here and know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like if I'm at the back, then it's not not having my own dive gear. I don't have anything to like hit my tank to try and get attention. It's oh, they're they're way up there. I'm not getting their attention in any way if something were to happen to me. Like, yeah. There's nothing I can do. And so it just became I'd rather be able to A help myself if something goes wrong, or if something happens to my dive buddy, be able to help them and not have to have no idea what I'm doing and try and swim and catch the instructor and bring the instructor back to the person having a problem. Do you, so you were saying that you usually rank gear. Do you think at some point you'll you'll go and try to start to acquire your own gear, which I always highly recommend, uh, but I get why some people don't want to. With almost all of my diving being done at Heron and being a staff member, we don't pay the rental fee. Oh, so we awesome. pay. We pay, yeah, they're amazing about it with staff where <laughs> you get heavily discounted dives and then all of your equipment you can rent. Unless it's super busy, the only thing you're not really allowed to take is wetsuit. Otherwise, everything else, because they only allow eight divers on a boat, unless it is a full dive only boat, because it depends on how many instructors are going to be able to go and whatnot. So then they will only ever have eight BCDs and eight regulators out at one time. So there's plenty for staff to be able to use them as well. So they don't make us pay a ridiculous rental fee. But it's just one of those looking into it. It's like, man, I need to get a better underwater camera. I need to get an <laughs> underwater housing. That's thousands of dollars. Oh, I should get a B. That's a couple thousand dollars. A That's a couple thousand. Everything is just thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. The, the price just starts going up because that that was actually going to be my next question um so i I was looking you shoot on a a nikon d3100 dry stuff dry stuff my above ground yeah my above ground is a nikon d31 do you think you'll ever bring that uh that camera that setup try to get it set up for underneath the water no no it's good for what it does but i need i bought that camera when i was living in new zealand so we're looking like seven eight years ago Oh, okay, okay. I don't know much about the Nikons, I'll be honest. I bought it eight years ago, and it was on clearance sale. Oh, uh, 
So it was it was an older model when I bought it. Okay. What's the latest model now? Like the 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 fifty one hundred or something? Oh man, I don't even know because I would I wouldn't go back to the D series. I would move into their mirrorless, probably. Okay. And jump into, I think it's called their Z series. But I'm also, I only have like one lens. And I bought a minor telescoping lens for going on safari in Kenya. And that's the only lens I've ever bought. So I'm not tied to Nikon with a hundred lenses. Yeah, yeah. So it's looking at, I know a lot of people film Sony Alpha underwater. That seems to be the biggest one that I see a lot of is people film with Sony Alpha. Because it does good video and photography it's it's a lot of money to think about right now (laughs) yeah no no no. i definitely definitely agree because i so i i have a the sony a7 IV and i was looking at housings and i'm just like man i i can't do it it's just it's as much as the camera and i saw i was trying to find a housing for my sony a7r2 and they don't even make it because that's a really old model at this point. Um, I, I I probably bought it like four or five years ago, used from my buddy who had it for probably like a few years at that point. And just, yeah, just, just trying to like think about getting into that side of it. Um, that's why I'm just like, yeah, I'll do the GoPro. Or um, I was talking with a buddy the other day with... Um, uh, just because like I, I don't think I'll ever really push the underwater stuff photography wise, but the I think it's called the Olympus TG6 I think is the latest one out yep. and that one looks pretty cool just because you could do macro you, I've, I've seen some really nice pictures. I believe you can shoot raw on that I'm pretty sure you could shoot video um, and it's just like a little point-and-shoot So and I think if you get the housing it's rated to like a hundred meters, which is probably something I'll never do um, So I was like man that that would be completely all I would need but You know, we'll see because I feel like you know once I start getting into something. I'm like, oh, yeah I want that I should get that <laughs> you know, It's just yeah, the the prices keep going up and you know it would terrify me to flood a housing with a three four thousand dollar camera <laughs> as opposed to like a couple hundred dollar gopro underwater photography is an expensive hobby yeah it is not unless unless you are making money from it somehow it's an expensive hobby to put money into because it's the camera the housing if you want the lights so you actually have true color down there and then weights to make sure because when you're holding that underwater housing if you've got a dome on it that's just a bubble of air that's fighting you to go up <laughs> so then it's yeah it is and i've seen some crazy setups at heron because we get people that come through with the big huge setups and it's like man that's mine is a gopro and a little plastic clear case and a stick it's fantastic <laughs> Well, hey, man, I really, really appreciate you coming on to the show today. And uh, just one last question before I uh, let you go. You know, I I know you were kind of giving us some tips and tricks with the editing side of it. But if you could give one piece of advice for editing to make things easier for people, what would that be? Oh, man, I would say figure out your workflow that works for you. So that's like I was saying with DaVinci Resolve, they have what are called nodes. 
and once you make your node tree, so it's all your different nodes, if you find a way that works and so each node can edit a different thing, you get into the rhythm of doing that and it just makes it so much faster. So if I pull up, let's see, a video I'll post later this week that I edited, because I try and do all my editing on Sunday for the five videos that I'll post in a week and then they're moved to my phone and then I can make the drafts on Instagram so I'm not sitting there every day doing it. Yeah. So I have 12 nodes in my tree and each one does a different thing. But because I have my process, as soon as I get there, I've got my shortcuts figured out. I can build my tree immediately, start my editing and be done with a reel in almost 10 minutes. And then it takes that same amount of time to transfer it to my phone Bluetooth wise. So once I edit my five videos, I just set them all up to transfer and I can walk away from my computer for 30 minutes and my reels for my week are done. And it's fantastic. Cool, man. Cool. Well, dude, that's awesome, man. Thank you very, very much. Like I said, I appreciate you coming on here and, and I look forward to catching more videos and seeing what you, you know, put out there in the future, man. It's, it's, it's definitely great. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been a blast. Offcasting, a scuba podcast.